Welcome to episode two of the Best Side Podcast. All right, born in Nova Scotia, Canada, but now proud and happy resident of Waitara, New Zealand. Our next guest, like many of us, has had a roller coaster relationship with Kai. Introduced to fair dieting at a young age, she had been on 14 diets by the age of 14. Absolutely crazy. Using experience, indigenous teachings, and what she's learned through the New Zealand Holistic Performance Institute, she's now teaching empowered eating all around the world, changing lives on the daily by helping people heal their relationships with food. We talk Tinder, starting a business, and of course, a lot of conversation around food and our attitude towards it. After the episode, head to the Best Side Instagram for our quiz on this episode. You can win tickets to the Well-Fed Nutritional Event happening on October 26th, right here in Taranaki, valued at $198. Make sure you find us on all social if you just tag at Best Side, and also make sure you leave us a review once you've listened to the podcast, good or bad. Uh, obviously, we're very early stages. It's very young, the podcast so far. We want all the feedback that we can get. So let's get into episode two with Michelle Yandel. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and kind of how you arrived to New Zealand because I always kind of enjoy people's origin stories. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, right. where are you from originally? So, um, I was born in Nova Scotia in Canada on the east side of Canada and uh, was. I guess probably about yeah, it was eight years ago that I moved here. I think oh. eight or nine years ago. So I met my husband in Canada, oh, yeah? and he's from Waitara. I was gonna ask if he was from here. <laughs> That's or? how I ended up in Waitara, which I love. And um, yeah, he we basically uh, met over there, and then I came over here and checked it out and. We put our heads together and said, you know, where are we both going to be happiest? And I'm a free spirit, adaptable, can live and adapt to wherever. And so I was like, oh, I'll go to New Zealand. So, you know, left my job and sold everything I owned and came here yeah, about eight years ago. What were you doing over there? I was a school teacher. Oh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I was a school teacher my first uh, four years here in New Zealand. In Waitara? Or? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. St. Joseph's Waitara and... Um, Renui in Tikarangi and a little bit of Central School in uh, Waitra East for relieving. Yeah. Sweet. Big fan of the Maori pronunciations of words, by the oh, way. I'm, 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 I'm glad. Well, at the end of the day, it's all about giving yeah. it a go away because um, I mean, a lot of conversations have been happening recently, and I think a lot of it is surrounded by ego, too. Like a lot of people are a little bit afraid to give it a nudge. But at the same time, I know, mm-hmm. and this might land me a bit of hot water, but I don't care. Like, I know there's a lot of Māori out there too who can be a bit, you're saying it wrong, and so people get scared mm. to express it. So no, I'm stoked that, yeah. you, oh, I'm stoked that you're giving it a go. I, and think it, it was, I think it's my French upbringing because a lot of the vowel sounds are similar, and so maybe that made me a bit more confident to try it because it sounds similar in lots of ways, the, the yeah. vowels. Yeah. And I think travelling too, like as you said, you're free spirit and a bit of a person of the world, I think that kind of makes you more comfortable with giving things a go too. Yeah. I, like I've travelled a bit and I kind of not afraid to make myself sound like a bit of an idiot I kind of always lead with I apologize I'm not trying to be disrespectful yeah. but is this like even like because you've mentioned like your tribe names and stuff like that to me and I'm not even going to try that until I hear you say it so I can <laughs> give it a ghost and tell us a bit about that too like you've 
Yeah. Is it Acadian? Am yeah. I saying that properly? Uh, and or Acadian would be the, the anglicized version of it. Acadien is um is French and Acadien. Acadien, yeah. Right, we'll Acadien if it's female and Acadien if it's male. Um but uh that would be the my father's side of things. So I'm basically as Nova Scotian as you can get. So the first <laughs> the first people there were the indigenous the Mi'kmaq people and uh and then the French came over and they were friends. They were happy to cohabit and live together and strong, um, had strong relationships and uh, helped each other out through the winter. The French would never have survived the first winter there if it hadn't been for the Mi'kmaq people. So they had a really strong friendship. Um, then the English came along, and that's a whole other story. Yeah. But I was just saying, you were saying head. <laughs> I was like, oh, what's going on? Yeah, and, and, and they, they continued to, and there was a lot of um, intermarriage between the French and the Mi'kmaq, and that's where the Métis people come along. And so that's basically my background, is that Acadien and, and Mi'kmaq, which is the, yeah, the, the tribe from that part of Canada. Cool. So fast forward to... Um, I guess meeting your partner and ending up in New Zealand. Tell us about that journey. What when you first came here? What was your first impression of New Zealand? Um, well, it's funny because you that you, you mentioned about the the place names and the pronunciation. <laughs> everywhere I went, I kept saying to my my husband, "How do you pronounce that? What's that say? How do you say that?" Was it you know? Cause it was also different to me. But uh, you know, I loved it. I, it was very much like home in lots of ways, in the sense of uh, fishing, farming. No, no mountains in Nova Scotia, but you know that was pretty amazing. The first time I saw Mount Taranaki. Oh yeah. And it was, yeah, it was just nice. It was nice to be in a smaller town again, living in Waitara. I was in the city in, in Nova Scotia, so I actually liked moving to a smaller town again, which I grew up in a small town very similar to Waitara. So it was almost, um, yeah, comforting to to do that. And it's been nothing but good since I've been here. I mean. I'd say the biggest difference would be the people are a little bit different. Um, I think I'm funny. New Zealanders don't quite think I'm funny, but Canadians think I'm funny. Oh, okay. So, no, <laughs> no uh, I just my, I have an American friend over here, and we we laugh about that because we'll think something's hilarious, and the other person will be like. Uh, <laughs> Can you give me an example? I'm interested. I'm battling to kind of. Oh, I can't remember now. I just remember we were at the movies one time, and we were laughing about something and the lady at the counter was just like <laughs> you know I just and even movies like we'll find hilarious you know a lot of American movies or something and others are like oh it was okay or we'll watch maybe a New Zealand film and not quite get it yeah, you know? yeah. So big little differences like that but the people are very similar very laid back and generally happy and so it was a very easy transition for me for sure yeah, how was it for your um, partner coming home, do you think? After, how long was he away for? Oh, just for six months. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, he was there for six months. We actually met online initially. Oh, yeah. And then he came over and spent six months in Canada where we got to know each other. So he was here and I was there. It's actually a traveling kind of website. So mm-hmm. I was actually looking to connect with people in Italy because I was going there for a little bit and then came across him and started talking to him and then have a year of conversing back and forth and then he came over to oh, Canada, far out. so, yeah. yeah. It's like an online dating sort of thing before it started. Pretty much, yeah. before it was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was like, going to say, you're, you're... Before Tinder. Yeah, you're leading the pack. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I'd cope with Tinder. Oh, it's crazy. Like, I, I, you know, I'm kind of the, I guess, well, prime target market for it in ways, and it's funny. I have to admit, I used it quite a bit when I was overseas. Yeah. But... Not really since being home. Like, I, 
it's, for, it's too small of a place yes, here. Like, yes. it, always, you always know someone or know someone who knows someone or it's around. So I'm not going to lie and say I haven't used it here. I tried it for a little while when I first moved home. But, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I quite like how, um, you know, like I always like watching, like, social change and trends and patterns and stuff. I kind of always studying what's going on. I've yet to go to my first wedding yet that's been... A result <laughs> yeah. of Tinder, but I can't yeah. wait. And I know there's been heaps. Like, yeah. I I said that actually on my social media not too long ago. I, was like, I haven't been to a Tinder wedding yet, and I think people thought that I was kind of um, mocking it, or and people started going off, going nothing's wrong with it. I was like, oh no no, nothing's wrong with it. I just <laughs> I just haven't done it yet. Yeah so. yeah, no, I'm I'm glad it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it was all quite um quite different then, I guess. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> um. So also speaking about you mentioned teaching. Like that was kind of your, your bread and butter. How did you segue from that to what you're doing now? Yeah, so I was, like I said, a teacher for uh, four years in, in Canada and about four years here. And the school system is very different in lots of ways. And I just was basically getting more and more stressed. Uh, I was finding that it just wasn't suiting my personality in lots of ways. Um, creativity, freedom, they're all pretty pretty big values for me okay. and I was just getting more and more stressed out and I thought to myself knowing what I know about health if I keep doing this for another 30 years I'm basically going to be really unwell or have a heart attack or something and I just thought you know a lot of people were saying to me oh but you're permanent and you're you know your income's good I mean at the top mm. of the teacher pay bracket I mean yeah that was nice but all I could think of was I'm permanently unhappy yeah. <laughs> and no amount of money was really going to compensate compensate for that so I kind of thought all right well what's plan b then like I don't have a plan b I st- you know have these huge student loans of you know studying most of my life and I thought well what do I like to do and I like nutrition and health and cooking and recipes and I do like teaching um but I thought what can I how can I put all of that together and that sort of segued into this nutrition coaching life that I have now. (laughs) So you're still teaching in some aspects. I think so. I mean, I I just recently taught a class in Saskatoon, uh, Canada, all via Zoom, on empowered eating and um, dieting. And it was really cool. It was like being a teacher, but without the paperwork or the classroom management. He had all the he had to do all the classroom management. I just talked and taught, and so that was really cool. How did you, how did you start that? How did that come to fruition? It's part of the uh, International Indigenous Speakers Bureau, which okay. I'm a member of. So I've been with them for a couple of years now, and they've recently developed this VIP program, which is getting speakers into the classroom, and it's a win-win because what will happen is, say, several classrooms, ten classrooms, will all be connected at the same time, which saves them the cost of mm-hmm. hiring a professional speaker to come to the school. Wicked. Yeah. And you mentioned, like, every kind of entrepreneur has this moment, I guess, when they're, they're wanting to take this leap, and you mentioned that you were kind of getting, growing unhappy uh, in your teaching environment, and you kind of, things weren't really aligning with your values and kind of what you wanted to do. What was your first sort of step or what were your first series of steps? Because obviously it's hard pinpointing that one. Mm. But what were your first kind of series of steps to, to start doing things on your own? Did you kind of sit down and have the conversation with your partner? Like, this is what I want to do or this is what I'm thinking? I or? don't know if he was even involved in this stuff. <laughs> 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 I just do it. No, um, we, 
I guess the first step was making that obviously that conscious decision, but then telling the the principal at the school I was at that I was you know this was my last year, mm. and that was that was a little bit scary. Uh, I just don't like any type of confrontation. Not it would be confrontational, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, being like oh, because I know it burdens them, and I just didn't want to and. Uh, so that was obviously the first step, and then it's sort of thinking logistically about how I was going to make it work. And so I did some relief teaching while I transitioned into the nutrition coaching. So a few days a week relief teaching, a few days a week doing the coaching, and then eventually I was finding I was being pulled too hard in different directions, and it was it was a bit more difficult. So eventually I just said I have to close that door mm. if I want the other one to open. So that's when I decided to leave teaching permanently and just just do the nutrition coaching yeah it was, it was a good decision for me so looking back on all that stuff if um what advice would you have given yourself looking back honestly i wouldn't have done any of it differently cool. i had to come to the place i'm at because of everything that happened and every choice that i made so if i'd made a different told myself to do something different I may be somewhere completely different myself now. So, you know, anything that was a struggle, anything that really sucked, I just, it all kind of brought me to where I am. So, you know, you get through it and you, and you look back on it and you go, yeah, that was difficult. But if that hadn't happened, then I wouldn't, you know, be where I am. Yep. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really give myself any other advice. I think I took action on what wasn't working for me and say it wasn't easy and, you know, financially it was a bit of a struggle for a while, but it's all worked out awesome yeah no regrets no regrets that's great so like look when you look back on um i guess that sort of time getting things started what like what led to your passion and like the the nutritional and household stuff like were yeah. you um because a lot of people i speak to they're involved in the industry they would deem themselves at the time pretty unhealthy and they got them turned on to it yeah. or um you know even just like I speak to a lot of people who try lots of different things to kind of, or they have like a particular health scare. What, mm. what was it for you that, yeah. was there anything like that? Or was it a lot simpler? Was it something you just had a passion for? It? Yeah, um, no, there was definitely something for me. Uh, there's a, there was a couple of big shifts in, in my message and in what I'm passionate about. Um, but initially when I was younger, I talk about this a lot, how uh, from age 10 till 14 or if not younger i was probably on about 14 different diets so oh, wow. i was a, a larger bodied child and wasn't active and wasn't obviously because i'd get teased for it and mm -hmm. i was bullied a lot at school and just made to feel worthless for most of my childhood and that wanting to lose weight I equated that with health and so I got really into learning about what's healthy food and about nutrition and my mum was really into it too and I was, so I was really passionate about it because you know I wanted to get skinny or I wanted to be healthy and so I remember I can remember reading a nutrition textbook I don't know how oh, I must have been about maybe 14 and reading that in my room you know so I've always been really into it and I think because watching my mum and my sister as well, who were also yo-yo dieters, oh, watching okay. them. And so I don't know if it was passion or more like fear of not losing the weight or, you know. Yeah. And then, so, and then it was just always something, I was always into recipes and always into the cooking. But I don't know if you've ever heard of the um, Minnesota Starvation Study. No. Well, they put these... Sounds scary. Yeah. <laughs> well, they put these, uh, I think they were army men on this 
1200 calorie diet um, to see what the effects would be on them. So 1200 is your typical standard of a diet today. And these men who really had no interest in, in food in particular besides you know nourishing them yep. suddenly started looking at cookbooks and putting pictures of, of pictures of food on the wall and obsessing about food. Oh. And, and so I don't know, I wonder if a lot of that obsession came from being in a constant state of restriction of some sort mentally or, or physically. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's really fascinating. What was it called, sorry? I think it's a Minnesota starvation study. I'm gonna write this down and try and look it's it up. It's really interesting. And uh, just a lot of the behaviors that, that came from it few of them dropped out, they couldn't handle it, uh, there was, yeah, and, and a lot of them developed uh, binge type relationships with food following that as well, and so, so yeah, so there was a lot of that for me growing up, and that did get me interested in, in nutrition and what's healthy and what's not healthy, and, and like I said, that wasn't until later that another shift sort of happened uh, that, you know, I guess another turning point, but that's that's where it started. Yeah, yeah. And where where did the kind of attitude change? I guess because obviously you were looking at it from a, I need to do this to help me and be healthier. And I think you mentioned you know weight equals health. Um, it was kind of that correlation that you had. When did the um, attitude start to change? To kind of I guess look at it and go, this isn't right, mm-hmm. or I'm looking at this the wrong way, or. When did that sort of start to happen? Yeah, there's a couple shifts for me. Uh, the first one was I went to the ancestral health, um, ancestral health uh, society conference that they had, and somebody there was talking about BMI. She was a doctor and talking mm. about BMI and whether or not you know that equated health historically, and, and, and it just got the gears turning, and I thought she was full of it at the time, <laughs> and I was like, hey, but it, it did, it got the gears turning, and I was like, okay, and then um, later on, I actually, as far as my behaviors around food, and I was realizing that I wasn't actually in a healthy state, was I, I was studying... You mean in terms of your perceptions, or, yeah, or like yeah, physically, mentally, or... Mentally I, and physically, okay. um, in lots of ways, but I was... I wrote a paper for the school I was studying at, the um, uh, Holistic Performance Nutrition Institute in Auckland, and so part of my graduate requirement was to write uh, a peer-reviewed type paper, an article, and so I was firstly writing it on, I was going to do it on how lemon water detoxes you or something, okay. and my teacher, Cliff Harvey, who's now a friend of mine, was saying, there's not really a lot of evidence for that, and I'm like, what? But it's everywhere. Like all the bloggers are, you know. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, So then I was like, okay, so I'll write it on this. And again, I couldn't find the research. I couldn't find the research. So then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write on. I've been hearing a lot lately about orthorexia and about um, when healthy eating goes too far. And what is orthorexia? It's it's a it's not a it's an eating disorder, but it's not in the manual at this stage. It's, I guess, a developing eating disorder. Okay. And it's basically, it's a little bit combination of obsessive compulsiveness with this, um, the, the clean eating and the, I've got to eat perfectly all the time. And it, it, it crosses the line when it affects like your social relationships. And, yeah. you know, I can't go out to eat if I don't know what's on the menu. And, and it becomes a bit, you know, all too consuming. 
and it's that fear. There's a lot of fear with that. You know, okay. if I eat that, it's toxic. I can't eat that. Mm. Sugar's toxic, or this is toxic, and I can't even have a bite because that's just going to make me feel crap. And I'm going to, you know. And that's great. As you talk about it, there's so many people that come to mind. You know, yeah. like you, and, you hear these conversations. And a lot of them take a great offense to that. And so I have to be mindful when I talk about orthorexia. And there's a difference between wanting to eat healthy and then that becoming an unhealthy obsession. Yeah. And so I wrote a paper on it and I was really proud of this paper and, and Cliff said, yeah, it's great, it's good. Phew, I don't have to do another one. And so I read it to my husband and he, he said, oh, that's really good. So you're writing about yourself. And you'd never seen it like that. So like, <laughs> mic drop, you know. For someone like, that is like confrontation, that would have been quite confronting, eh? Well, it was actually, yeah, it just sort of was that, that aha moment kind of where I was like, oh, and I was, I was touting a lot of 21 day programs at the time in my, in my business and lots of detoxes and lots of weight loss, 21 day things or whatever. And, and I was like, we've all done, well, yeah. not we've all done and, it, but I know a lot of people that have, I know nothing, I have in the past. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's the intention and it's the effect that it has and yep. knowing that it's an experiment and you can do whatever you want. You're an adult, you can try these things, yeah. go for it, but just know, you know, it's not your fault. If it doesn't work, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. And, you know, so it was, that was a moment for me where I looked at myself and my message and realized that. You know, there was a lot of anxiety around food for me and lots mm -hmm. of anxiety about like, oh, I can't eat that or I'd, I'd have to scrutinize the, the menu before I went out to eat. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I'd still go, but it would, it would cause me stress if I knew that there was nothing there that I could technically eat. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so that was a time. And I me. doubt you're the only person like that's, I mean, obviously yeah. you wouldn't be doing what you do if you were the only person because... Yeah. Um, I'm using is that what a lot of your work these days surrounding kind of help out? Yeah, well, I look at my history of dieting, which was basically probably thirty years, thirty-five. Yeah, years from the of age of life. ten, that's crazy. <laughs> like, and a lot of the time, not realizing that what I was doing was a diet. Mm. I get to that point where I'm just eating healthy, but it was still restriction, and it was still I can eat this and I can't eat that, and um, and so. Yeah, it just, it was um, something that I just realized that my, I needed to help people with. I wanted to help people to get off of diets so that they can learn to eat more instinctively and learn to eat normally again. And when I say normally, I'm, a lot of people think that I mean, so, okay, I'm just going to go on a free-for-all now and eat <laughs> donuts all the time. I'm yeah. like, well, again, you can if you want. You're an adult and nobody should make you feel bad for yeah, that. Yeah. If you want to go on the donut diet, go for it. I'm sure there is a donut diet out there. <laughs> There's a diet for everything, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, so, but I, what I want people to do is to be able to learn to listen to their bodies again. Yep. I think from an indigenous perspective, it's that, you know, I always think, how would my ancestors have eaten? What would they have eaten? And I've turned that into something that's a lot more flexible and fluid. I, I said in my TED talk, you know, if my ancestors were presented with a piece of chocolate cake, they weren't going to go, ooh, no, that's bad. I'm not going to eat that. Yeah, yeah. If they wanted it, they would have eaten it, you know? And so I think there's a lot, would have been a lot more flexibility. And I think that when we learn to listen to our body we're tuning out a lot of that confusion and that racket out there on social media that's mm. saying this is bad then the next day it's no it's not bad this is bad and then the next day is this is bad. you know there's a lot of confusion out yeah. there and i hope to my goal is to 
kind of like Offman's razor to just slice at it all until you get to an actual simple version of, you know, what do we need as humans? Well, we need these certain nutrients. And, you know, after that, like, have fun with food, try things, listen to your body, experiment, eat more mindfully. So my goal is to, is to get the dieters off of diets mm -hmm. if they're willing and to teach them how to feel their best. So I want people to feel amazing. Yep. But without having to give up their favorite foods for the rest of their lives, because that's not always healthy either. So, is there a difference between dieting and watching what you eat, or is or is it the same thing? Because I think there's a lot of confusion there. Yeah. To me, it's very different. But yeah. I just want to, I guess, get your yeah your perception of it. It all it all boils down to intention, right? Okay. So, uh, I think they can be very different, and I think they can also end up being very similar in lots of ways too. So yeah. Yeah. Wanting to know what makes you feel good and wanting to eat those foods is not dieting, mm -hmm. you know? To me, that's a diet. That's just me eating. That's a big confusion too, isn't it? Like, you know, like yeah. there's, the, there's the sense, there's the marketing word of dieting. Like, it's, mm. well, for me, it's a marketing word of, all right, these is, yeah. this is what you should be eating. But yeah. then, like, in simple terms, diet is anything you eat. Yeah, like, totally. I wish yeah. they would have a different name for the, the act the latter. of starving yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So when I think of a diet, mm -hmm. um, as far as a negative thing, yep. is when I, it is solely focused on calorie restriction and health um, and weight. So uh, your health doesn't matter. It's just I need to eat 1,200 calories so I can get skinny or whatever it may be. To, and it's very much good food versus bad. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. Um, there's rules to follow. It's very structured. It's, you know, creates anxiety and makes you grumpy, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas watching what you eat because you want to eat foods that make you feel good and you want to be your healthiest self. And there's flexibility. If you go out with your friends and, you know, they're all getting chocolate cake at the cafe, you know, it's being able to be okay with that and know that, you know, you just, tomorrow is just going to be another day and I can eat what I want tomorrow, you know, I might want to eat, um, you know, more salad because I didn't have any the day before. It's just about balance and flexibility and learning to listen to yourself. So, I mean, I'm conscious of what I eat, but it's not a rule, you yeah. know, it may change from day to day. And I'm basically just helping people to, to find that balance and to, you know, again, just learn how to make themselves feel good without it being too structured because a lot of what I do revolves around the medicine wheel or um, the the idea of, of health being body mind spirit and health uh, body mind spirit and heart so with dieting it's very much just focused on this on the body in mm -hmm. the sense of uh, the body in a sense of making the body a certain size I guess whereas health is more of all four. All four, you know, and it's mental health. And so if you're stressed about what you're eating, well, that's not good for you. Yeah. Um, or if you're like... And on the flip side, if you are stressed, there's things that you can eat to help you with that stress, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's about all of those things and it's about nourishing, nourishing our body because we deserve it, mm -hmm. you know? We deserve to feel well and good. But it's also letting go. If somebody doesn't want to eat healthy, don't judge them. Don't shame them. You know, there's a lot of shaming because of what people eat. And 
it's just let, they're an adult let them do what they want to do i was gonna say it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is like where you you're almost focused on uh re- reversing mm-hmm. i'll say reversing mm-hmm. until we find a better word and like reverse engineering kind of i guess the um media brainwash that's happened mm. because i mean you mentioned a lot about um intuitive eating so mm-hmm. can you what's what do you mean by that yeah so well in, intuitive eating is a, is a, based on a book um evelyn triboli i'm probably saying her last name wrong so i'm going to mumble that last name <laughs> uh, but intuitive eating is, is basically her guidebook and that's that's part of what I do, but like say with empowered eating, it's more of a combination of different practices that I've found have all worked for me. So I take more of an instinctive eating approach, which I'm complicating things, but yeah, yeah. intuitive eating is basically letting go of the rules, eating what you want, you know, um, mindfulness and uh, body acceptance and all of those sorts of things. Empowered eating encompasses those things. Um, but it's more of that teaching people again to, to really listen to their hunger and fullness, which intuitive eating does well. They're all mixed together. Yeah, it's yeah. basically just giving you... So it's part, it's part diet. Oh, we've used that word again, but yeah. it's part... I guess part, Way of eating. <laughs> yeah, part, part what you're putting in yeah. um, and part of, I guess, um, re-engineering, re-engineering or re-teaching or changing an attitude or yeah. mentality towards food. Yeah. It's simplifying things in lots of ways because you say there is a lot of uh, nutritional BS out there and so you know my courses are about simplifying things and when I work with people it's like let's just start with small steps let's and let's clear up some of that racket um, you know, there's so many crazes out there that mm. it's just like unreal. The detoxes and the um, celery juice at the moment is the big one. Oh, yeah. parts. And like, you know, there's just so much out there. And, and people have come to me, they're at a point where they're completely confused about what to eat. Yeah. And I'm like, this is our human natural instinct to know what to eat. And we've completely lost that ability. And so that's where I try to try to clear things up and help people to feel a little less guilty if they have a piece of chocolate, you know? It's, mm. um, it's really awful how hard a lot of people are on themselves. Oh, it's crazy. Mm. Like, that, um, like you're saying, you, you know, they're hard on themselves for what they eat. That emotional attachment that they kind of have to certain things food-wise mm. is absolutely bonkers. Like, mm. you know, we were talking off-air about, um, about a little bit about my journey and, and your journey too and we're talking about exercise and how mm. you know some people battle to go to the gym and you know i often say to people man just get out and go for a walk like that's yeah. that's massive if that works for you and people totally. are like oh is that enough i'm like oh, if it's what you enjoy doing it's better than staying yeah. home and doing nothing so yeah absolutely and that's that's part of that nourishing our body is finding movement that we enjoy and or like I said before like we were chatting it's functional you know finding something that makes them feel it's all about feeling good and helping each other to feel good so a lot of those strict diets don't really make you feel good ultimately they may make you skinny but often they still feel shit about themselves um you know it's it's it doesn't go away when the weight comes off for lots of people they still feel bad about themselves and they still feel guilty about what choices they're making or what they're eating um yeah so it's it's a real shame but hopefully 
a little bit of education out there is going to help. I know it's a movement that's growing, is getting people off of, of dieting and starting to... It's filtering that, as you mentioned before, filtering that bullshit too. Like it's, yeah. there are so many things. Like I'm glad I'm at a stage now where I, like I know what works for me yeah. and I can filter out. Like you see stuff and, and I'm kind of like, do people actually believe that? But I, yeah. I, I don't take it to heart too much. And yeah. Even if it comes up at, like, say, like a dinner party, you know, it always comes up at parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. When people, while people are eating the new craze and diets and stuff yeah. like that, and you know, not getting involved with the conversation mm-hmm. is such a mission sometimes. Because oh. you know, what what might work for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. So, and for example, I've been pescatarian for the last mm-hmm. like year, and it's been amazing for me. Cool. I never ever would have thought I would do that. You know, growing up Maori and yeah. you know a lot of hangies and stuff like that and that and all sorts of meats and things like that but I'm, I'm a dabbler so I'm kind of like yeah. oh, I'll give it a try um and it was I just noticed it was actually quite funny it's about this it'll be coming up a year soon yeah and I actually noticed um there was a two-week period where I didn't eat meat simply because I was busy with weddings and like it was a crazy two weeks and so I didn't have any meat like I think I was eating salads when I was at these things and then I just noticed my mental clarity was just like a lot better. Mm. And then I was kind of like, oh, I haven't had any meat in a while. So then I tried it. Well, I just had some on purpose, I guess, to mm. be like, oh, I haven't had any meat in a while, I better have some. So I had something and I immediately felt bogged down. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. So then I tried another two weeks without it. I felt myself lift up, had some more, bogged down again. I was just like, well, well that's enough for me. So then I just, I kind of just listened to the signs that were there. And, like it's funny like the comments and stuff you get from people sometimes they just don't understand it they're like oh they're like, I've got a friend who always gives me flat because when we go places I ask for the meat to be taken out and he's just gives me all sorts of crap when we go out for yeah. lunch but people are very judgmental of it's crazy other. and that's why I always say if you want to do a detox if you want to do vegan if you want to do this but you know just experiment if it doesn't work don't beat yourself up over it you Mm. know and learn to listen to your like what works for you like you just said i mean i was a vegetarian for 27 years before reintroducing meat into my life and for me it was the opposite um my health was declining and so when i introduced me all of a sudden i was like whoa and i wrote like two books that year and my mental clarity and all of my blood work was back to normal um, so for me, it was sort of, it was, it was the opposite. So we are, we're totally all different. And that's mm. what gets me upset is when people will say, um, this way of eating is the best, the way. you know, whether it be vegan or paleo or keto, everybody's very e- evangelical about what works for them, assuming it's going to work for everybody else. And I think we need to, again, be kinder with each other and just, you know, if that works for you, great, but it doesn't work for me. And that's okay. Even listen, if somebody wants to eat donuts, do it. Yeah. Go for it. You know, we again. I've said all the time. You know, we're we're adults now. Like just leave each other alone. <laughs> Offer guidance if you're asked. You know, or if somebody wants to know. Oh, well, what you know? What worked for you eating vegan, and why do you? I mean, educated people ask about it, but it's that um, I guess that air horn of you know this is the best. This is the best mm. that upsets me because it gets people confused and they think that they have to do that to be healthy 
I'm like you mentioned, you know, you were vegetarian for ages and then and then you changed around. My mum was the same too, so she was a vegetarian for a long time. Um, and then she I don't know whether it was the doctor that said, Look, you need to up your iron intake or whatever or start eating meat again, like whichever and so she went back to me and she said as well, she kinda of had like was flooded back with a bit of mental clarity and stuff. Kind of the opposite that happens to me, which is yeah. really interesting. Um, but I mean, one thing I'll ask I don't know how comfortable you'll be asking it, uh, answering it, but one thing that my mum noticed was when she went back was the I guess the the vegetarian or vegan community at the time there was a bit of backlash from them. Um, did you experience that too? Oh yeah, yeah. I still experience it. Um, I was actually running vegan potlucks here, and I was like getting all the vegans together and running these these potlucks, and um, was doing I think monthly and was actively involved with the local vegan vegetarian community and uh, when i made this announcement on facebook on my page i wrote a blog about it that you're going back to me yeah those you know because it took me a year i didn't do it overnight yeah for sure it took me a year to get over the idea of it uh, i get really nasty emails really nasty looks uh, a lot of judgment um i still get Oh, that's that's her. She used to be a vegan, and I get real. Like, I still like today. Like there was somebody in Vinan that was giving me the dirtiest looks, <laughs> and then Paul said, "Oh yeah, he doesn't like you because you're not a vegan anymore." And I'm like just stuff like that. And I think life's too short. We need to be kinder to each other. And you know, I, I could get into huge debates about which is better for the environment and which is better for animals, but I just don't yeah. because. People choose what they want to do, and it's their choice. It's mm-hmm. when pe- same when I was vegetarian, like you, and people would say that I was wrong and that I needed to eat meat, and would give me a hard time. And now it's the opposite. It yeah. happens less now, <laughs> but you know, it's it's just just leave each other alone, man. Yeah. Goodness, you know, I don't understand where they were coming from because I was very passionate about it, and when my ideas and thoughts about veganism got challenged I had to have an open mind and so now I've sort of seen both sides of the coin and I can totally understand where they're coming from but I see things differently now and yeah so it was a, it was a tricky time and I thought business-wise I thought oh is this an epic disaster like because most of my following is probably vegetarian too because I was doing vegetarian recipes and but it, it, it didn't, and I probably did lose a few, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Some of the ones that wrote me nasty emails. Um, but, yeah, we're over it now. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, though, like, you know, like we've, we've talked a lot throughout our discussion today about attitudes towards... Um, it's, it's funny how, for me, it's really, really strange how what I eat create such an opinion in someone else because mm. even so like my first I, was, uh, I felt real bad for us I've got a really good friend and she's been um, so she doesn't eat red meat she hasn't eaten red meat for a long time mm-hmm. um, but she still eats chicken and she gets flack for it heaps because mm. everyone's just like what's the difference like why do you eat this one and not that one and she's always just saying it's just my choice it's just my choice and we were at a restaurant um, and she, had, we, well, we've both been going there for a long time. And some of the weight and stuff, we know them personally, like they're our friends. And so they were like, you know, they, they know that she's not going to order that and they give her a bit of flack. And then the first time that I went in there, having made my change, and I said, oh, can I get this, but take the bacon out for me. And they said, oh, what's going on with you? I said, oh, it's just, mate, it doesn't make me 
feel good mm. like so I don't have red meat anymore and now uh, okay and that was it <laughs> she was rolling her eyes like are you kidding me like these people give me flat and they have for like years you just say it the once and I always just say well look I'm, I'm not apologetic about it like yeah. I don't feel bad about it and to be honest and this is, might sound terrible to some people listening I'm not doing it for the animals mm-hmm. like I'm doing it because it makes me feel better physically not makes yeah. me feel awesome like it makes me feel better because I've noticed the change I ran like a mini experiment last summer and I noticed the difference so yeah but it's really strange I think like how people think and I don't know I think I don't like people I don't think people like to be made to to think that they should feel guilty they're not yeah trying to make them feel guilty but I think they feel that they're saying that they're wrong for doing what they're doing and even though they're not saying it yep and that's I think because even anger and stuff that comes and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Well, it sounds cliche and corny, but it's, for me anyway, it's definitely one of those things where it says more about them than it does about yeah. what you're up to. You yeah. know? It's like, yeah. it's you know, the people who, who spank their kids and the people who don't. Like, there's mm. always going to be some sort of judgment that's passed on, but everyone's yeah. got their own way to go about things. Religion, dietary choices, yeah. body size, you name it, there's shame and judgment happening. and All yeah. sorts of stuff. Um, so, look, before I let you go, a couple things. What, what are some things that I guess you want people to know out there from, from what you're doing, I guess, in terms of the attitude towards, well, what is, I guess, just two or three points that you wish everyone would kind of understand? We've talked about, you know, no judgment and stuff like that, but what are just two or three key points you want people to kind of really know for themselves? Um, yeah, I mean, again, just... Compassion's a big value for me, and I do, I want people to be a lot more compassionate with themselves in particular, and obviously each other, but, you know, it's, there's some high expectations put on people, and a lot of people think that they need to eat or live that way in order to be a better person. Mm. And not everybody can afford superfoods, not everybody can afford... Uh, you know, triple layer smoothie parfaits and stuff <laughs> with expensive protein powders and that, and and so be okay with that. Actually, it can you know a hard boiled egg is just as good, <laughs> if not better, in lots of ways. So compassion with yourself that you're doing the best you can, that you're actually enough, that you're you know doing yeah doing your best for yourself and your children, and and being compassionate with your food choices in the sense of, you know what, you ate a brownie sundae, whatever it may be, it's, it's just food, it's not the end of the world, you know, and if you do, if you're concerned about that, look at it in context, you know, look, you've had so much, you know, nutritious food lately, it's really not going to have any effect on you, mm. it's, it's really, if anything, just going to make you temporarily happy, <laughs> yeah. you know, so just that let go, letting go of the guilt and the shame, and also I think the most important thing I'd love people to start doing is to start questioning uh, the ex- so-called experts and the people that they're seeing in social media and online, and if you see something, if you see somebody saying that, oh, well, let's just say, for example, that lemon water is a, will detox your body, okay? And if, if you see something like that, look for the peer-reviewed evidence, look for the studies, 
question it, ask them, you know, have you got some evidence to support this? Because that sounds really cool, and I'd like to know more about how this celery juice will cure my cancer, you know? Yeah. Um, ask questions, and if they're not able to tell you the answer, or they don't have peer-reviewed studies, or there's no studies on it, well, then you, you're a bit more empowered, and you can make a You may still want to do it. Go for it. But at least you know a little bit more now, and you know that you can go into this more consciously. So... Um, yeah, question everything, be compassionate with yourself and, and do what makes you feel good, eat and live however makes you feel good. And it sounds simple, mm. but, and I know it's, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy when we've been so used to eating or living a certain way and doing things according to a rule book. Uh, but you know, if we can just, you know, eat, eat that food, like you say, that makes you feel good and you know what, sometimes it's going to be ice cream or a Snickers bar or whatever, and you might be really tired, and that Snickers bar is probably the best thing that's ever done. You've got energy now. You can go and do what you had to get done that day and not be starving. So it actually makes you feel good. But 20 Snickers bars might not make you feel good. <laughs> Maybe it will. I don't know. But, you know, do what makes you feel good. Eat what makes you feel good. And uh, be compassionate with yourself and question everything. That's, that's really the, the message. Question everything. Yeah. Question me. Go for it. Like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, people have to just use their, their brains again and, and start looking at what's out there and whether it's factual or it's just getting lots of likes. Yeah, because it's become, a, I think, a Facebook liking, Instagram liking world. <laughs> mm, yeah. Likes over substance, me and my friends call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the only question I guess I really do make a conscious effort to ask every person that comes on the podcast is, but there's someone listening right now who's feeling a bit down in the dumps. Um, they might have a hump they need to overcome, or they've you know things just aren't going very well for them at the moment. What would be from your own experience, obviously, because none of us, well, no one I've spoken to so far have been um, mental health experts or psychiatrists or anything like that. So. Uh, but what would your advice be from your own experience? Because obviously you've mentioned, you know, a couple of instances throughout your journey that you've been down in the dumps and found some pretty huge walls and some challenges. Mm. What were some things I guess you employed to help you get through those? And what advice would you pass on to someone that's listening? Um, mostly about, it, it's all about connection, eh? And, and finding that person that you trust, that you can talk to and surrounding yourself with people that support you. And, you know, we, we tend to be... A lot of us tend to be people pleasers as we just want everyone to like us, but there's so many mean people out there. We don't yeah. actually need them in our world. Um, so, you know, whether it be a friend or a partner or a husband or wife or a sibling or even speaking to a professional or something, it's just finding somebody that you can talk to and support you and, and finding that tribe, those people that think like you. And, and I think that's most important. I think we're, we're lacking connection as humans, especially in this digital world, mm. uh, there's a lot less connection happening. And they say that connection is the opposite of addiction. And it's, uh, it's a world, I think, that yeah, we need to get out and, and talk to each other and look each other in the eye and shake each other's hands and experience each other. And so I think that that's, that's what's helped me, is finding like-minded people to support me with my changes and my you know, beliefs and, and that's been that's been the biggest thing for me. Cool. And how do people find you um, if they want to? Yeah, I guess get in touch and, and uh, learn from the sensei. <laughs> 
I'm no guru, that's for sure. I don't want to be another one of them. No, uh, going to my website's probably the, the, the easiest way to, to find me, just michelleyandel.com. And from there, there's links to Facebook, and I've got uh, pin, well, yeah, Pinterest, sorry, Pinterest, Instagram, and I am on LinkedIn. But if you go to my website, you can find all of those things. I do all of my consulting and courses online. So if somebody just wants to download a course and, and go at it on their own, or if they want some one-to-one support, they can they can book that in too, or they can just read one of my books, which I always say is the most cost-effective. Download it on Kindle. There you go. So yeah, lots of, lots of ways to find me, but just if you just go to my website, that's usually the go-to. Cool. Anything else you want to do before I let you go? No, I just it was really awesome to, to sit and chat and talk tricky about yeah. <laughs> the stuff. We'll have to catch up again for sure, obviously, as things evolve as they do in your industry and look as I um you know, my big goal with the podcast is to definitely have the whole video element added in at some stage as well um, oh. so everyone that I'm talking to at the moment I definitely want to catch up with in the near future or make it a regular thing so Excellent. thank you very much for coming on thank you so much sweet Right, that was episode two with Michelle Yandel, Nutrition for the Best Side podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on the podcast. All your feedback helps. You can subscribe and follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can leave your reviews there too. And don't forget to go along to Facebook and Instagram and find us there as well. Speaking of Instagram, if you want to head to the Well-Fed Nutrition event being held October 26th at the TSP Showplace in New Plymouth, We're giving away two tickets on our Instagram page. All you have to do is head to the story and complete the quiz and you're automatically in the draw. It's nice and short, so don't think it's going to be a big test. But once again, thanks for listening and we'll see you very, very soon for episode three with Sam Rapida.